0: The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. Ralph Waldo Emerson is, to me, kind of the philosophical forefather of our New Thought teaching. Uh, He's often known as the the first great uh, American philosopher, and he set forth ideas that that are so important uh, to our teaching today. I'm going to share some of those with you. Um, The first is the idea that God is ever-present. God isn't so much a being that created the world and lives above it, but is inherent in all things. Emerson believed in what he called the, the Oversoul. My soul must be in need of an organ here, he said. Shall I not assume the post? The divine expresses, he taught, in in nature, in friendship, in our own self-realization. Another essential idea that Emerson taught was the idea of, of spiritual independence, if you are to be an individual, you must be a nonconformist, he said, which is why it's so tricky getting members here at the church, right? <laughs> and, and it speaks to us because most of us here, some of us grew up in, in this teaching, but a lot of us were here because we're spiritual rebels or we're spiritual refugees. And a lot of this is, is Emersonian, and he believes so strongly in the idea uh, to, to never imitate to always insist on being yourself because he believed how we truly reach God is within ourselves. By discovering our own genius, do we discover the genius that created everything. Uh, Emerson began his career as a Unitarian minister. His father was a Unitarian minister, his father was a Unitarian minister, and he he liked it well enough, but he began to have this authentic struggle with the idea of the ritual of communion. Uh, For him, he didn't like seeing himself in particular as someone that would serve as a medium for God, giving the wafer and the wine as wonderful as the ritual is. So he was personally struggling with it, so he he brought the the leadership of the church together and he decided, you know what, we're going to take a vote. Uh, The congregation can vote to have me as their minister or to keep the Holy Communion. And so the the membership uh, took a vote. Uh, They kept the Holy Communion, and the world, we might say, got Ralph Waldo Emerson. But everything we see in our our culture today about being your true self, about not following someone else's path but blazing your own trail, all of this owes a debt to, to Emerson this idea of experiencing and expressing the divine through our own self-discovery, through realizing our own precious nature. A third idea that Emerson brought to us was was an immense positivity, or what I'm calling today a, a profound kindness. Emerson didn't have an easy life. It was filled with lots of loss, yet he had a great idealism for what an individual could be or become, or for humankind itself. I think that some of the people who were studying Emerson got his teaching of positivity a, a little mixed up when they started seeing positivity as a, as a technique. You know, if you just practice being positive, good things will happen to you, and there's some truth to that, but Emerson really meant it in the way that, that profound kindness and immense positivity is really a byproduct of having a relationship with the sacred within you. That it's really a byproduct of discovering and being committed to being your thriving self. It's really the byproduct of how Emerson defined prayer, of contemplating things from the highest point of view. When we live truly open hearted, positivity comes easy, even in difficult situations. Profound kindness becomes not just a cool thing to practice, but our very way of being. It's a way of being awake in this thing called life. Probably my favorite quote from Emerson, which is saying a lot because there's so many of them, uh, he wrote in an essay called Friendship. He said, we have a great deal more kindness than is ever spoken. We have a great deal more kindness than is ever spoken. A great deal more kindness than is ever spoken. You know, I see this when there's a a natural disaster that hits a town and you see all the neighbors coming together to help each other out. I think about all of those so-called strangers that we know so well, but we have no idea what their name is or anything about them, and yet our hearts are fond of you know, that neighbor you've driven by a thousand times and waved at, but you know nothing of their name or their family. The server at a restaurant. The coffee barista. The person that sits behind you in church for years and years, and you, and you haven't really gotten to know one another. You can say hi to them right now, by the way. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> but think about how many people who don't know how much we admire them there are that there's something about unlocking that profound kindness and sharing it with others in a in a more profound way. And this quote about this kindness within us it's inspiring and yet it can make me a little melancholy as well. There's more kindness in me than will ever be spoken. There's more kindness in you than will ever be spoken, more love in you than you'll ever be able to express, more joy in you than you will ever be able to embody. How wonderful it is to know that we have that infinite source within us, but how often do we hold that kindness or that love or that joy back? How much do we miss the availability of it around us through other people? I remember I had just become a licensed practitioner. It was 20 years ago. I was 18 years old. And I was making my way through the lobby of the church in Huntington Beach where I got to serve. And there was kind of a scruffy-looking gentleman there. And I went up and I said, how are you doing today? And he kind of gave me a sour look. And he said, I'm not telling you. And He began to explain that his experience of me Was kind of like running around the lobby Kind of like with a, a, a chicken with its head cut off kind of thing And, and he said, I, I don't think you really want to know Or you really want to hear how I'm doing And it was a little creepy, I admit it <laughs> But, but I, I, I took it to, to heart And thanked him for his sharing And I saw him here or there And a, and a few weeks later he came up to me and He said, I, I'm ready to tell you how I'm doing now I said, okay, and so we went and we sat down, and he he told me about himself, told me about his life, told me about the struggles he was going through, his family life, and it was an honor to behold him. It was an honor to get to listen. That's sometimes the greatest honor there is in life, to be present to somebody. And so we completed our conversations, and I only saw him at church a couple times after that, and it was about uh, three years later. I had just finished a bartending shift, uh, the the best ministerial school that there is, (laughs) and was having a a beer with some friends when I saw him walk into the bar, and he looked about 100 years older. He looked disheveled and not in good shape, and he sat down at the bar, and uh, I still was so excited. To, to see him, my heart awakened And I went and sat next to him And I said, how are you doing? <laughs> and he said, buy me a scotch and I'll tell you <laughs> And so I did And uh, he drank the scotch And I, I could tell pretty quickly He had n- no recollection of who I, I was And he mumbled this and, and mumbled that And I, I, I could see that he was in a very dark place And as he, we walked out of the bar I saw, I saw a broken man I saw a dying man I saw a man in deep pain. And so I had learned two lessons from this man. The first, the importance of doing our best to be present and to listen. But the second lesson was how when any of us can get into a dark place, that we can become ignorant to the ears that are truly available around us. How we can unintentionally turn away from the hearts that are really Available to us. How we can dig ourselves into such a deep place and feel so utterly alone that we forget that profound kindness that can be reached with a willingness to open our hearts. Maybe many of us don't find ourselves in as dark a place as this man, but I can tell you that a lot of us have to ask ourselves, do I live my life authentically or defensively when it comes to this thing called kindness and love and uh, the spirit the spirit of life am I weary of it or do I step fully in and embrace it when it comes to that, that stranger and approaching them and sharing that adoration and that kindness uh, what do you say gosh am I I'm supposed to talk to them I haven't talked to them in years it would be kind of awkward to do it now right well, maybe at first, but you'll get over it. What about my tough guy or tough girl image? Well, you, can, you can let that go. What if I uh, come off as creepy? What if they think I'm hitting on them or something? Well, if your intention is only to be, be kind, then let that be that. What if they don't feel the same way about me as I feel about them? Well, you know, it's not a date to prom. It's just about <laughs> sharing that adoration of our, our heart. It's that willingness to recognize that that status quo of so-called social niceties where we're just in politeness and we don't really honor and acknowledge one another is not for us. How many of us at times in our lives have made a calculated decision not to love, to hold back? You know, people are, are generally pretty lovable when you get to know them. And when we get to know ourselves and we're willing to show up with that profound kindness to make it the centerpiece of our lives, incredible things can begin to happen. Incredible things can begin to take place. It's one thing to think about how we uh, treat strangers with kindness, but it's a whole other thing to even consider um, how we practice it with people that we love people that we know best. I remember being 10 or 11 years old, and the person that I loved and adored the most in my life was my, my father. I still do, that 10-year-old in me still just loves my dad. And my dad was someone who worked very hard, and he, he liked his alone time. So he'd come home from work, and he'd lay on his waterbed, and he'd read science fiction novels or listen to records. And I remember on one evening in particular... Um, I went into his room and I said, uh, Good night, Dad. I, I love you. And he mumbled something, but it certainly wasn't I love you too. <laughs> and I'll, I'll stop right now and say, my dad loves and loved me very much. This was my experience. But as I walked away, my, my heart began to crunch up. It began to, to wilt. It began to, to stop. You know, why didn't my dad say I love you too? Is he mad at me? Does he not love me? Uh, maybe he doesn't think I'm, I'm um, being man enough. Maybe maybe a man isn't supposed to say, I, I love you. And I, I made a little commitment there in my heart right there. You know, I'm never going to say I love you to anybody ever again. And it wasn't true, of course, but the, the sentiment was there. There was a dam that was built up in, in my heart in that moment. And so there was a little bit of truth to that, of, of holding back. And you know, in life, it's, it's, it's really hard not to love when you love somebody. You ever have that where you're really mad at someone and you can't help but express love in some way? You get mad at yourself. You know, I'll be in an argument with my wife. You know, you've got to do that every once in a while and get it all out. And I'll be storming out of the door and she'll say, I, I put a snack for you in the refrigerator. <laughs> what was that? I said, I put a snack for you in the refrigerator. You go in, oh my God, it's celery with peanut butter and raisins on it. That's ants on a log. I love ants on a log. You know. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. Slam the door. Go, go to work. Go through the, the motions. It's hard, but I, I can tell you in, in, in my life for the next 12 or 13 years or so, I had, I had a lot of trouble being intimate. And if you were to ask me what my greatest fear was, it might be saying, I love you to somebody, especially to a family member. The fear that I had wasn't being rejected, but at some point it was there being such an overwhelming sense of love that I'd just become a puddle on the floor. You know, that, that's the thing about opening your heart. Your heart. Learning to not have a hardened but an open heart is to realize it's not so much about letting the love in. It's about letting all the love that we've held onto out. Love that we've held to that may be creating the opposite of what love is, a toxicity in our life, a lack of certainty and self-confidence, a certain amount of pain to, to let it out. That was kind of a scary idea for me. And so I was a little scared of that day of, of saying, I, I love you to my dad. But you know what happened? I said, I love you, dad. And you know what he said? I love you too. You know, it was just a removal of all of that story that I told myself. We say I love you more and more now. And you know, we write it in cards and write, draw little hearts around it. You know, we're totally into it. But that, that's the, the question for us. Is, am I, is there a love for someone that I'm holding back? out of fear that it won't be returned, or out of the fear that it may be overwhelming. It takes courage sometimes to practice profound kindness. It takes courage sometimes to practice a big kind of love in our lives. But but we're up for it. Because there's nothing more vital, nothing more sacred, than to tell the people we love, we love them. To practice our boundaries, To take care of ourselves, we don't have to be weird about it, but to be present and to live from that place of heart. Uh, A few tips today on practicing profound kindness based in the philosophy of of Emerson. and You can apply this to uh, an encounter with a stranger, to an encounter with your partner, to an encounter with a good friend but the first thing is is to make your friend the main event. I love something that Emerson said. He said, a new person to me is always a great event. And in this culture that we live in today with so much to do, so much activity to choose from, sometimes we forget that the most important thing about what we're about to do is spending time with the person we're about to spend time with. Where are we going to go eat? What movie are we going to see? Don't forget your cell phone. There's all of these choices out there, but uh, the truth is is if you can get a nice air-conditioned space, especially right now, (laughs) great. Make sure that person that you're with is the most important thing that you're doing that day, the most important thing that you're present to. Plan out how you can be together. I'm going to learn something about this person that I haven't known before. I'm going to express or share something that I perhaps have never shared before. What a great gift to give a friend our attention, our listening, our presence. Let what we do together come second. A second piece of advice is make intimacy a priority. Make intimacy a priority. Alone, Emerson said, man is sincere. At the entrance of another person, hypocrisy begins. (laughs) There's a certain paradoxical truth to that, that part of the work of sacred relationship is learning to be authentic, learning to be truly ourselves. Aren't those the best friends we have? where we can take any of the masks off and not worry that anything that we're saying is going to be judged, where we can laugh or cry or whatever it may be and just just be. It feeds and enlightens and opens up the, the soul. So as soon as you can with your friend, cut the small talk. You know, get to what really matters. How are you doing, really? What are you caring about? What's keeping you bound? What's setting you free? Or skip all of that and just laugh and have a great time. They seemingly have the same effect. But make intimacy a a priority. So many of us intentionally or unintentionally have, have built up that dam within, have dug ourselves in that tunnel that we feel like we've forgotten how to be intimate. We feel alone. We feel a stranger. I love an interaction That the psychologist Harville Hendricks once shared about meeting with a client who uh, complained over and over about about feeling all alone. I don't have a friend in the world, he said. And he began to talk about how lonely he was. And Hendricks decided to take a a different approach. So he began to uh, emphatically, in a way, scold the man. He said, Listen, there are no friends out there. What you want does not exist. All people in the world are strangers. If you want a friend, you're going to have to go out and make one. The idea being that friendship at its most understood is is a verb that we practice with each other. It's one thing to have a friend. It's it's another thing to be a friend. It's one thing to happen to be married. It's another thing to practice actually having your marriage. It's one thing to have family it's another thing to interact and deepen it's it's one thing to know you're an individual it's another thing to commit yourself to deepening and knowing yourself and committing yourself to growth a final tip from emerson you cannot belong to another before you belong to yourself he said so befriend yourself Befriend yourself. Be willing to listen to yourself. Be willing to make yourself the main event from time to time. Be willing to be a good friend in your journal. Be willing to be heard, be loved. Recognize the preciousness of your own being. Forgive yourself for that thing that you wouldn't hesitate to forgive another for, uh, but you'll beat yourself up with forever. Bring yourself in alignment with the true purpose of your life. One of my favorite practitioners of profound kindness is the Dalai Lama, who goes so so far to say that even though he's a a Buddhist, his true religion is kindness. And I love this, this instruction that he has for us. He says, every day, think as you wake up, today I am fortunate to be alive. I have a precious human life. I am not going to waste it. I'm going to use all my energies to develop myself, to expand my heart out to others, to achieve enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. I'm going to have kind thoughts towards others. I'm not going to get angry or think badly about others. I'm going to benefit others as much as I can. Isn't that a much better purpose than I've got to go to work today? Or I've got to do this for so-and-so and so today? to to center yourself into who you really are and and why you're really here. There is a, a great power, the greatest power that any of us have in this life. It's the power to help someone. It's the power to acknowledge and honor someone. It's the power to see the truth and the ability of someone else who perhaps can't see it about themselves yet. It's the power to love someone. It's the power to behold and be present and listen and embrace someone. These powers are no longer with the greatest philosophers of our past because they're no longer here. It's us that has the great power to be present and give that gift of kindness wherever we go. Why would we waste time, doing anything else. To close with some more words from the Dalai Lama on the religion of kindness, he says, This is my simple religion. No need for temples. No need for complicated philosophy. Your own mind, your own heart is the temple. Your philosophy is simple kindness. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, text 720-230-1404 or visit us at milehighchurch.org.